0: Special Speaker from Northern California Presbyterian, old friend and colleague. Matter of fact, I knew him when his name was Chuck, but uh, he's now the Reverend Dr. Charles McElhaney. (laughs) (laughs) And I uh, I think uh, from what we've said on the telephone, he's got some messages that will probably keep us awake. Till all hours of the night discussing some of the answers. (laughs) And I hope uh, you want some stimulation up here. I I think we're going to have a good time. But um, I don't want to say any more because I think you want to hear from him. Charles McElhaney. Thank you. You haven't heard anything yet, though. Better hold the uh, clapping. Let me get through some preliminaries. I want to thank uh, whoever's in charge of inviting people to speak. Uh, They finally uh, got to the bottom and they came up with McElhenney. (laughs) It's my name, Tabasco sauce. The next time you go to the store, remember McElhenney. They're the only ones that make Tabasco sauce.
1: <laughs> my hot
0: sauce, Tabasco, that's mackerel, that's how we spell it. So we're everywhere, luckies especially. This is like a dream. Uh, I grew up, my wife and I, uh, her father's a Baptist minister, my father's a Baptist minister, and we grew up in camps. Every year we went off with dad to the local conference or we drove 5,000 miles for the local conference, whatever. And it was always exciting to go there. And I thought that when I grew up, oh, I'd like to do that too. So here's my opportunity. This is fantastic. A whole week of me. (laughs) I'm not bored.
1: I have it all the time. (laughs)
0: The last time I had a conference speaking engagement was in conjunction with Bob Atwell. Now, I could sit and listen to Bob for a hundred hours. And we did a weekend conference about uh, 12 or 13 years ago. That was the last one I was invited to. (laughs) That was only a weekend. You can imagine what a week will do. Well, I have a, a lot to say. And one of the things I want to mention periodically is books. Now, maybe you know of this book, relatively new, put out by Academy, Zondervan, called The Five Views of Sanctification. I think it's very interesting. There's a variety of books out on the Four Views of War, the, the Two Views of Baptism, Two Views of the Lord's Supper, a variety of views. This is on the Five Views of Sanctification. It's very interesting. Uh, the Wesleyan view, the Pentecostal view, the Keswick view, the Dispensational view. You didn't know there was a dispensational view. And then the reform view. So it's very interesting. They all present it from their particular viewpoint, and then they refute each other. They rebut each other. It's very interesting. Um, Whether you agree with everything in there, it's good for thought and analysis and understanding Scripture. And I, I also did ask if it's possible, if anybody wants to come, there is an extra thing I put in there for the afternoon. Raleigh put it in there for 4 o'clock a seminar on uh, covenant theology and dispensationalism. That's uh, just one I, I enjoy talking on that kind of a subject. So if anybody wants to come to that kind of a seminar, that's fine, that's a four thought. We can discuss all kinds of things. The discussion this week, uh, I asked what uh, I should be talking on and they said basically anything you wanna talk on and the subject matter was in general, Christianity and society, or the Christian in society. Now, that's a huge subject, the church and society. The church confronting society. And so I came up with a series of topics to deal with. The morning messages will be geared for those current event uh, topics. The evening will be more of a Bible exposition somewhat related to that. The morning messages have to do with, uh, and I don't know whether I'll present it in this particular order, but perhaps tomorrow we'll start with secular humanism. What is secular humanism? Now, everybody talks about secular humanism, but I have my own particular opinion about secular humanism. Uh, Then a subject on rights, human rights, uh, the Christian and human rights, the church and human rights, and I'm primarily focusing on Christian rights. What are our rights? Should we fight for our rights, or should we just let people walk all over us? How should we respond? And then on Thursday, and I I pinned this for Thursday, uh, the Christian involvement with AIDS. Now, I come from a city, San Francisco, that is super involved with that, and I'm up to here with that stuff. Now, you may be up to here with that stuff, too, uh, but I think it's extremely vital for Christians to know the nature, the facts of AIDS, the disease, and what it is, and we'll go through that stuff. I have, been, I have a doctor in our congregation that's uh, involved with treating AIDS patients and so forth. And there's fears and anxieties that are unfounded, and there are founded fears as well. We want to talk about that. And our Christian responsibility in reference to AIDS. Uh sad part about it, a lot of people just simply say, well, they brought it on themselves, it's just too bad. They'll burn themselves out. And there is an element of truth to that, but that's not the Christian element. And so we want to talk about that. And then on Friday, I want to talk about war and peace. Uh, somebody said, war is the ultimate experience. It is the ultimate experience. Now, I've never been to war. Thank God for that, and I have no desire to go to war. And when I talk about war, we're not talking about fighting and bickering with one another. We're talking about communities, whole nations, or within a nation, civil war. Nations and societies going to war with each other. What's the Bible have to say about that? What is our responsibility? And the nature of peace. What I thought was interesting is I I didn't bring up the subject of abortion and our responsibility because I pretty much think that's, and I'm assuming that's pretty much wrung out in the Bible-believing community. We talk about abortion and we do various things. and We have a crisis pregnancy center in our church and so forth. Uh, And there is one thing subject that I see neglected among Bible believers, and that's the issue of war and nuclear war and the use of nuclear weapons. We won't get to all of that, but uh, I've given some questions for discussion on the issue of war and peace, and should we be involved with the peace movement? I don't necessarily mean join some other groups, but perhaps have our own Christian Bible-believing peace. Movement? Or is it just simply, look, that's the way it is. That's life. We just go for war till the end and wait for Jesus to come. So we'll talk about that on Friday. Let's see, any other preliminaries I wanted to. Oh, yes, I brought some videotapes as well. Uh, they're not for kids. Sorry for that, kids. Uh, that has to do with what's going on in San Francisco. I have a videotape of a CBS documentary, Gay Power, Gay Politics in San Francisco, it was done in 1980. Filmed in 79, but released in 1980. Now this is all before the AIDS thing ever came out. And when I look at that video seven years later, it's different, it's it's a different atmosphere that's going on in San Francisco. Uh, And so uh, I have that. And what people don't know is that after that CBS documentary aired, Uh, the gay community in San Francisco, and uh, parenthesis right here. Realize, when I use the term gay, I'm talking about homosexual, okay? Uh, Some people object to the use of the word gay and related to homosexual. Some people really object to that. But bear with me, okay? That's my community that I live in, so I slip in and out of that. But most people don't realize that after the CBS documentary, uh, CBS, the local CBS affiliate, gave the homosexual community a whole hour to rebut that and to show the people that they are not vicious and violent. And it really is amazing to look at. Uh, uh, So i got two or three hours of that stuff, so you may want to watch part of it, some of it, or none of it. And I also have a videotape on a talk show. Um, The Lord has given us a tremendous opportunity to talk on a particular show uh, on the CBS affiliate, uh, KPIX. And they invite me to come on the show whenever they have these radical or silly things going on. and They only get need to show up because he's the only one that would say something. Uh, we have, uh, the one I brought, at least I hope it is, the one I selected to bring, is by a Father Cromie, Robert Cromie, uh, who believes, he's an Episcopal minister in San Francisco, has the oldest church, in the oldest Episcopal church in San Francisco, and he advocates uh, gay marriages. Now, the Episcopal church doesn't advocate gay marriages. They're working on it. They're close to it. They're on the line. They're, they're, they're making all kinds of excuses for it. But this fellow, priest, does. And uh, so another fellow, me, another minister and I were invited on the program to spar with him. And I think it's quite interesting, not for what we have to say, but for what he had to say. And listening to this self-professing Christian uh, preacher of the gospel, which is what he says he is, it's like... Israel of old, it's like Jeroboam and the prophets of Baal, it is incredible, it is amazing, you know, it's just like reading through 1st Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, well anyway, those are the uh, videotapes that I have, and I guess I'll just announce them uh, tomorrow when we'll show those, anybody can see them, let's get into the Bible study, You ready, roll up your sleeves, 1st Peter chapter 3. This is the introductory message, so we're going to be basically dealing with the issue of speaking and giving an answer. Because we're going to talk about various subjects. Uh, Can you hear me when I wander around? Yes. Uh, Thanks. I hope it picks up. Are you you going to go through this? It may pick up. I'll try to talk as loud as I can. so we're going to deal with issues, current event issues, because if we don't know what the issues are, there's no way to give an answer to them, because that's what our text has to do with, giving an answer. But let's look at some of the verses surrounding it. First Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 8. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. My particular Bible that I use is the uh, 1901 edition, American Standard Version, so if you see a little difference, that's why. 1 Peter chapter three, starting with verse eight. Finally be ye all like minded, compassionate, loving as brethren, tender hearted, humble minded, not rendering evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but contrary violence, blessing. For hereunto were ye called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Parenthesis again. If you're into uh, picketing abortion clinics, this is advice for you. Refrain your tongue from speaking evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Verse 11. And let him turn away from evil and do good, and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears unto their supplication. But the face of the Lord is upon them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be zealous of that which is good? But even if ye should suffer for righteousness' sake, blessed are ye, and fear not their fear, neither be troubled. But sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord, being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason concerning the hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that wherein ye are spoken against, they may be put to shame who revile your good manner of life in Christ. Now we're going to focus in on verse 15 and take that apart. But the context of 1 Peter chapter 3 begins with a discussion about how to get along with an unbelieving mate, perhaps an unbelieving husband. Look, the whole book of 1 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter. I describe it as the Christian's involvement with the world. How is the Christian to live in a non-Christian world? And Peter deals with that issue. Chapter 3, how does an unbelieving mate, especially a wife, deal with... Believing wives deal with an unbelieving husband. How are they to talk and so forth? Of course, it deals with believing mates with each other. So when I get down to verse 10 eight through ten I thought to myself well that's pretty good advice on husbands and wives getting together brothers and sisters too you, know? you have a brother? yeah Yeah, you get along with him? Your... Um, he's gone
1: he's gone uh
0: oh you get along with your brother? this is I this is good advice for you you want to see good days what's your first name? Hannah uh, Hannah? Hannah Hannah okay Anna.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: if you love life and would seek good days with your brother, let him refrain or her refrain his tongue from evil. It's not just talking about getting along with husbands and wives and brothers and sisters, too. It's a good principle of how to defend your faith. So we're basically talking about this whole week has to do with defense of the faith, apologetics, if you will. Dealing with particular current issues. How to witness is another way to say the same thing. And all of this has to do with defense of the faith. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace in your defense of the faith. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and so forth. Now I know there are some of you that have an ability to witness on the job, have an ability To say something about Christianity, to defend the faith, to talk about Christ. There's some of us a little bit shy about this. And sometimes when you say something for Christ, it comes right back at you. Or at least they come right back at you. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, blessed are ye. Well, that sounds good, but in the midst of the fight, after they have just told you where to go, that doesn't, it doesn't seem to give a whole lot of comfort there. Blessed are ye. I'd rather get out rather than be blessed. And fear not their fear. End of verse 14. Don't be afraid. As one commentator said, don't let them scare you, don't let the world scare you. Fear not their fear. Neither be troubled. That's for you to do, you see. It's easy to say, but how are you going to do that? Verse 15 is the answer. That's what we want to concentrate on. But sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord. That's how you're able to defend the faith. Now, this goes for children as well as for adults. I'm not talking about the fact that you should go to seminary or you have to go to seminary because in seminary and schools, that's where you learn how to defend the faith. I mean, I really didn't know how to defend the faith until I went to school and learned all this kind of stuff. And thank you for putting in the uh, little bulletin there, the DR. I appreciate that. This is the first time somebody has officially put DR in front of my name. That makes it, that makes somebody feel good. This is perhaps the first demon you've had in the pulpit here speaking, isn't it? That's the name of my degree. It's a demon degree. So demon, in, and demon. In, so so this is the demon up here. But you don't have to go to seminary and get a demon. There are plenty of them out there to be able to defend the faith. Verse 15 is in contrast to verse 14 now. It's got a big but there. It says, don't be scared by them. Don't fear their fear, but sanctify the Lord. Now, I posit that you've got a contrast in there. Don't fear them, but you do fear God. To talk about sanctifying Jesus as Lord is to talk about fearing God rather than man. Robert talks about that the fear of man bringeth a snare we believe in the fear of God so this expression here in verse 15 but sanctify the Lord Jesus is in contrast to fear you want to learn to get over those fears when you talk to people or perhaps you don't go up to people perhaps you're not the kind that can go up to someone cold and start a conversation do you go to church? Yes. really? it's very good what church do you go to? it's too bad what you come on to? We all have our crossing light, don't we? Some people can go out of, go up to someone cold and be able to start a conversation and lead them to Christ. I can't do something like that. Uh, normally I have to be I'm sheltered in a little cove and then somebody comes up to me comes up to me and talks to me and asks me a question. Then I'm able to get an answer out. Right. However it is, however the tactic is or the technique is. The way to get over the troubles and the fears and the anxieties that well up is verse 15. Begin with that one. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. This is the verse that you ought to memorize all week. This is my key verse. When we are on the picket line in San Francisco, there's a few of us that picket abortion clinics... You get all kinds of vocabulary thrown at you as you're marching back and forth with your little signs and so forth. And they really love you. They would love to do things to you. And we had to learn this verse. We had to put this verse to practice. We continue. We have got to continue to do that. Sanctify Jesus as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean to sanctify the Lord Jesus? After all, he's the one that sanctifies you, Right? I mean, when we talk about sanctification, it's God that sanctifies you. But now he says, now this this is what you do. You sanctify the Lord Jesus. How do you sanctify him who is saintly, who is the perfect one? Well, there's a special meaning to the word sanctify. Here's the root meaning of sanctify. There's sanctify. Now, I know you're not all going to get to see all that. But essentially, the root meaning of the word sanctify is
1: to set apart.
0: Set apart. Sanctify Jesus in your heart. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. Set apart Christ in your heart. Now, if you're a Christian, that's basic to being a Christian. There's no defense of the faith unless you're a Christian. I mean, that's the simple, superficial, and first meaning of the text. Don't try to defend the faith if you're not a member of that faith. They'll figure that out. And there are some people that think they can defend the faith and because they think they can defend the faith that they belong to that faith. And it doesn't necessarily follow that because you can give an answer to the faith that you actually believe in that faith. Don't be fooled in thinking that because you know the answer, the scribe knew the answer, to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, where was it? And he gave him the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Or obey, love God and love your neighbor and so forth. He knew the answer. but doesn't mean he possessed that faith. that first thing, it should be the most obvious. And it's extremely important. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. Set him apart as Lord. But it means a little bit more than that as well. Sanctify Jesus as Lord means to... Set apart Jesus as
1: unique. (coughs) That's
0: nothing new. Jesus is unique. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the Savior of man. There isn't anybody else like him. I had a two-hour conversation in front of one of these clinics with a fellow from Baha'i. Ever run into Baha'is? Anybody run into any Baha'is lately? They're really interesting characters to, to, to talk to. Basically, the Baha'i follows the teachings of a guy named Baha'u'llah. I forget his real name. Uh, Baha'u'llah taught that everybody had the spark of divinity and was light. and Everything is truthful. And Jesus also is the way. And Jesus also had the spark. And he's also on the way. And so if you bring up Jesus... And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Baha'u'llah said the same thing. Muhammad
1: said the same thing. They all
0: said the same thing. And I came, in the course of our conversation, came to realize that he just wanted to make Jesus one of the gang. Perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker. Jesus is God's better idea. Have you saw that? Jesus isn't God's better idea. God's only idea. He's not one among the many. He's not in the crowd. He's not part of the pack. He's not supreme either. He's the only one of his kind. That's what we learn in the, in the Gospel verse. For God so loved the world that he gave what?
1: Yeah, you know what that means?
0: Only one of a kind. There isn't anybody else like him. Wholly unique. Sanctify the Lord Jesus means when we present him. That we present him as unique. He's not part of the game. His answer is against everybody else's answer. Jesus says basically this. I'm okay and you're all dead. (laughs) You're not just not okay. You're not just sick. You're dead. I'm okay. I'm the only living one. And if we're going to present the message of Christ for what it is, we've got to present Christ for what he really is. Now, when you talk to this fellow Baha'i, he wanted to make Jesus just one of the gang, one of the great leaders of the world. But we have to come back and say, wait a minute now. Jesus isn't like one of the great leaders of the world. We don't believe in Jesus like we believe in George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. He's uniquely different. And in the course of our presenting Jesus Christ,
1: that's what has to be presented.
0: Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts. Set him apart is uniquely different. He has a unique answer that nobody else has. And if anybody else has it, they've stolen it. They've copied the answer. But he's the only one that's got that unique answer. Sanctify the Lord Jesus. We sanctify him by setting him apart. By setting him apart as the Holy One. Let me phrase it this way. Here is the real core of learning how to defend the faith. Learn what holiness is. Now it's fun to learn all these nice little arguments and there are lots of good Christian books. Uh, Paul Little has a good one on how to give away your faith and there's a variety of books on all all the arguments that you should learn and they're good to learn. Some are better than others. But it boils down to this or it must begin with this. Holiness is the greatest defense. (laughs) Holiness is an offense. Uh, I had a television show on Thursday. Um, Mike Ryan is another pastor up there in the San Francisco area, and I, we were invited on this talk show. The subject matter was women in the sex industry. Uh, And it was a, uh, a group of prostitutes. And Mike and I looked at each other and said, why are we doing
1: this?
0: (laughs) Well, no one else will do it, and someone's got to give a word for Christ. There's no debating with these gals. You don't debate the issue. You present Christ to them. Mike stood up and I didn't get an opportunity. He put the kibosh on that one. But Mike got up and said something else, but what Donna heard on television, you didn't, in the audience, she didn't hear this. But over the airwaves, you heard, uh-oh, he's going to give us the Bible. <laughs> you see, holiness is an offense. Holiness is an offense. They know what I'm going to say on the program, but on the program enough times enough. They know what McElhaney's is going to say. They know what uh, Pastor Ryan's going to say. It's holiness that's an offense to them sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts. You will be an offense and you won't get prizes for that and they won't write you up in a column in the newspaper about that. No prizes for that. But that's what he's called us to. See, holiness isn't just a personal thing. That holiness comes out when you defend the faith. Sanctify, set him apart as the Holy One. Set his word apart as the Holy Word. Holy means there isn't any other word like it. If this isn't any other word, like it. If there is, they've copied it because this is God's word. The Bible's not like any other book. You can't examine the Bible like any other book. I was listening to a debate of an atheist. Have uh, you ever watched the John Ankerberg show? You ever heard of John Ankerberg? Some of you have haven't done. He, he used to be on. Northern California but they put them off it's too bad it's very interesting John Ankerberg he's an evangelical Donahue and he was debating with a, uh, a humanist and this humanist says uh, from the humanist society secular humanist society he said look if you really want to examine the Bible to find out whether it's true or not set it aside set it aside on a book and look at it like you would any other book and you'll see that it's not the word of God well, Ankerberg didn't pick up on that of course. You set it aside you set it beside any other book and treat it like any other book and you will come to the conclusion quite reasonably that it is like any other book. It is not God's word. That's stupid. That's not how you look at the Bible. It is unique. Sanctify the Lord Jesus. It doesn't mean trash his book. It means sanctify his book too. It's a holy book. We come to that book and learn from that book. But you know what? We come to that book for that book to criticize us. And that's what Hebrews 4.12 says. But the Word of God is... Well, finish up. The Word of God is... Quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. You see, when I look at that book, it critiques me. I think I'm critiquing it. But it's critiquing me all the whole time. That's why I don't like the book. It comes to me, as a matter of fact. Sanctify His Word. You know, setting apart Jesus as Lord, setting apart Him as the Holy One that saves sinners is the bottom line. Whatever argument or discussion, you don't have to get into an argument, whatever discussion you want to have about Christianity, about war, peace, love, whatever else, unless the message of holiness is fundamental, you won't get the gospel across. Jesus is not another idea. This doesn't give good advice. Jesus Christ says, you're wrong. I'm right. You've got to follow me. You've got to throw out everything you have thought about me. And you've got to believe my way. Not McElhaney's way, but Jesus' way. Some uh, fellow put it to me this way when I was speaking at San Francisco State University. Listen to this question. How would you answer it? When Jesus comes back again, When Jesus comes back again, isn't he going to kill everybody that disagrees with him? That's a very interesting
1: way to put it, isn't it? I would say, oh, no, no,
0: Jesus is not going to kill anybody that disagrees with him. He's going to judge everyone that doesn't submit to his royal saving authority. That's what he's going to do. The non-Christian reads that as simply. he look, when Jesus comes back, he's just going to kill everyone that doesn't agree with him. Well, that's the way the non-Christian wants to look at it, and that's why he's scared to death of that kind of a message. He doesn't want that kind of a message. Now, you may want to tone down that. No, 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 no. He's going to let a lot of people in. Maybe they're going to go in another door, another way, give them a second chance, blah, blah, blah. It's not. It boils down to this. When Je- if you don't believe in Jesus now, when he comes back, you're dead. You're lost. It's over That Now, it may not be the most delicate way... And perhaps the most caring way you'd want to present that, that's true. You may want to be a little more sophisticated in that answer. But sanctify Jesus as Lord. Sanctify His Word. Sanctify His saving word, too. It's entirely different from anybody else's word. First Corinthians chapter fourteen is an example of sanctifying in a worship service. Sanctifying Jesus as Lord. This is a glimpse of the worship service in the Church of Corinth. all the problems the Church of Corinth had. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. Well, I'll start with verse 23. 1 Corinthians 14, 23. If therefore the whole church be assembled together and all speak with tongues and there come in in men unlearned or unbelieving, will they not say that you're mad? That is, they don't understand what's going on. There's no interpreter of the tongues and so forth and so on. Verse 24. But if all prophesy. That is, if they understand the language which is going on, they understand the message, they hear it, they, they understand the vocabulary. It's not Swahili, it's English to them that are English. But if all prophesy and there come in one unbelieving and unlearned, he is reproved by all, he is judged by all. The secrets of his heart are made manifest so that he will fall down in his face and worship God, declaring that God is indeed among you. Now, wouldn't you want a church like that? Wouldn't you want a church that evidences that kind of sanctification that when they hear that word prophesied or preached in our vocabulary, our, our language, not just simply by the man up front, but in the course of conversation afterwards through the people, wouldn't you want that the secrets of his heart made manifest? <sighs> no, the first thing you want to do is be nice and polite. Now, realize, you've got to be nice and polite. And I'm not mocking being nice and polite and you have coffee over there and donuts on the other side. You want to, you want to win them over. That's true. But you also want to get to this. The secrets of his heart are made manifest so that he'll fall on his face. He doesn't come forward. He falls on his face, as a matter of fact. There's a coming forward. And worships God, declaring that God is indeed among you. There's a church that sanctifies Jesus as Lord such that holiness is the core of that message. The gospel is a message of holiness. Men are sinners. You know, I I had a little, little... Thing to give these gals on the program on Thursday. Usually I, I, I try to ask a question uh, to lead some other answers out and so forth, but with this particular show on, on Thursday, you don't want to do that to these gals. They're not interested in, in, in sparring with you or debating the issue of whether pornography is anything or uh, whatever else. I had it lined up. They didn't give me an opportunity to speak, but simply to offer them. Christ is the Savior of your sins. Of your sins. That's the most arrogant statement you can possibly make. Christ is the Savior of your sins. Um, I don't know whether you people go to movies. Do you? Or films. Which one do you go to? Movies or films? (laughs) Well, there's an interesting film. It's called Amadeus. Some of you saw Amadeus. I kind of like. I like that opening scene where uh, Soliari's uh, in the crazy place, and the young priest comes up and sits down, not knowing what Soliari's been through. And the young priest asks a very interesting question, or, or, or offers this idea. He simply says, "I'm here to offer you forgiveness." I thought that's interesting. Not only a Catholic would say that. So I don't have to worry about that.
1: But that's wrong. I offer forgiveness because I own it
0: not because I've got it but because of the message of the gospel the message of Christ you offer forgiveness I said to the fellow the Baha'i fellow that I was talking to, talking to I went through that spiel with him I said you know I offer to you forgiveness what would you you don't offer me nothing I don't need it what do you mean the world doesn't need forgiveness and if they, if they need it they're certainly not going to get it from you you have nothing to offer boy that's that's, again, to sanctify Jesus as Lord. His message is we offer to the world forgiveness. And that's what the world needs of sin. There's the story of uh, the Hebrew gals, of nursemaids in Exodus chapter 1. And you know what the, the, the Pharaoh, the king, the magistrate says? kill all the male children at such and such an age and how do they respond? They won't do it. Why won't they do it? Because they obey God. That's why. They're not afraid of Pharaoh. They're not afraid of losing their jobs either. And if they lose their jobs, so be it. they I not losing my job then. Wow. And if I die, I die. It's a quote. And You know who said that one? And they sanctified Jehovah. They set him apart. And they spared those lives. Uh, The chief story is Numbers chapter 20. Take a look at Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. I won't read through it, but I'll tell you the story. You ready, children? This won't take long. The children of Israel are wandering in the desert. And in the desert, there's not a whole lot of what? Water. Plenty of snakes. Hundreds mm-hmm. of scorpions and snakes and lizards and all that kind of stuff. But there's not a whole lot of water. And they run out of water. And they start complaining to Moses. Here you brought us out of Egypt. Or at least we had something to eat and so forth and so on. Now you brought us out to, to to die of hunger and thirst. Boy, I can, do with the, I can do without the chocolate chip cookie, but I can't do without water. I need that water. And they complained to Moses, and God speaks to Moses, verse 7. Numbers 20, verse 7. And Jehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and assemble the congregation, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye to the rock before, the, before their eyes, that it give forth its water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and cattle drink. Sounds easy. I mean, you've done it before. Because last time God said, smite the rock. Hit the rock. Then the water comes out. (laughs) This time he said, easier. Just talk. And the water will come out. Moses is fit to be timed. We go through this again. It's like deja vu. They do it all the time to me, completely complaining. And he takes the rod and smacks the the rock. Water comes out amazingly. And people were saved. But he gets in trouble. Verse 11 Moses lifted up his hand and smote the rock with his rod twice. And the water came forth abundantly, and the congregation drank. And their cattle. Period. Uh, why don't we just leave the story alone? Okay. You got your water. All right. I didn't do it the right way. All right. You're going to cross your uh, what T's and dot your eyes the other way. I mean, we're, we're going to get we're going to get upset about how we got the water. Who cares how we got the water? We've got the water. The people are saved, right? Well, God's concerned about how you get that water. Not just that water came out. He's not just concerned about getting them saved, just as long as you get them saved. He's concerned about the message across, the method of that salvation. He says in verse 12 And Jehovah said unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe not in me, to sanctify me. Now there's that expression. Same as in 1 Peter. You didn't sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given it, and so forth and so on. Notice notice that expression. Because you believe not in me to sanctify me. Moses didn't sanctify Jehovah. That is, he didn't take Jehovah's word seriously. It was almost like Jehovah said, I want you to speak to the rock. If you want to do something else, that's okay. It's almost as though Jehovah said, I want you to speak to the law with a stick. Any, anything else to get away from what God's word precisely said. He, they didn't, he didn't sanctify Jehovah. He didn't set apart that word. What God wanted was his word to be followed. The results, God takes care of. Paul talks about that. God gives the increase. God gives the increase. God gives the increase. But there's a word that has to be followed. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. I'm not out to win an argument. Sometimes in the course of talking with an boy, you just want to win the argument, don't you? Maybe not. Cry. Forever. You can't do that. That's not to sanctify Jesus as Lord. Let's finish up this. Turn back to 1 Peter 3. We could go on and on with this sanctify. And I think that's the most important part of the text. But let me briefly uh, finish up verse 15. Being ready, he says, verse 15, 1 Peter 3, 15. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. uh, Being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason concerning the hope that is in you. Be ready with an answer. The Christian, first of all, has the answer. That's easy. Where is that answer? We find the Christian's answer to the world's dilemmas in God's word, true. The Bible gives all the answers, but it doesn't give all the answers. There's a sense in which the Bible gives the answer to all the questions the world opposes. Now, the world's never going to be satisfied with that answer. Don't try to hone down your answer to make, make the unbeliever happy with it. The unbeliever is not going to be happy with your answer. I like to win that unbeliever. I like to do something or say something to kind of calm his his frustrations and try to win him over, showing that Christianity really is uh, simply uh, what everybody else believes in. Just more of it. Christianity is the cherry on the top of the ice cream soda. Christianity is simply the, the fulfillment that everybody else talks about. Christianity is the best. Christianity is everything else or is another way that you usually hear it. Christianity is the mean between two extremes. <coughs> you got this pagan religion. They say this and this pagan religion says that. But Christianity takes a little bit from everybody and it comes across as kind of like the the average, the mean. No, it's not Christianity. Be always ready to give an answer. Now, that's not always easy to know what the answer is. And sometimes the answer that God gives is Deuteronomy 29, 29. What's that? one? Secret things belong to the Lord our God and the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. We may do all the words of the law. The secret things belong to the... For the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us, to our children. Sometimes the answer is simply, look, God doesn't want you to know. I mean, I get upset with that, let alone the unbeliever getting upset with that. See, you Christians haven't got all the answers. Know it all. You don't know everything. Yeah, that's right. God does. Oh, and you're going to believe that, right? You're going to believe what the book has to say, Right? And I suppose if someone said the moon was made of green cheese, you'd believe that too. <laughs> See, how Christians are so easily deceived and just believing. No, our point is that the unbeliever is the one easily deceived by just believing. He is a believer too. Very much of an undash unbeliever, but very much a believer. Being always ready to give an answer. And that takes digging God's word, digging into God's word. But you know what? Also, that that, that takes reading a newspaper too. You know, up to a few years ago, I didn't read much of the newspaper. I didn't care what was on the news and so forth. I, read, I look at the newspapers, read, and watch. I like TV. I think TV's good and nice if you use it right, good and nice. I'm not opposed to TV. I watch news all the time. I get my kids to watch the news. They love the news. They come home from work, Dad, and we watch the news.
1: <laughs>
0: You're not going to be able to give an answer for the reason of the hope i you know what's going on in your world. Oh, I don't want to hear what's going on. McNeil, Laird enough. I didn't want to listen to them. You've got to listen to what the, what's going on in the world. That take that takes some time too. Uh, we study God's word in uh, we look at McNeil, Lair in the light of God's word for sure. That's not to abandon it. That is McNeil, Lair. You may not like them. You may like them. Whatever. I think they're one of the best news shows. But I watch. The local programs too. We, in thy light, he says, the psalmist. Do we see light? Do we understand McNeil Lair and everything else? Be always ready for an answer. That's not easy. That takes a long time. That's continuously. It, 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 Some people go to school for that, but you can stay home for that as well. Let's finish up. This is the part I like. The last part. Being always ready to give an answer for the what? What's it say? Concerning the what? Well, say that again. Who? Oh. Hmm? oh, I like that. The world, here's a situation that the Christian is living in the world. And he says, be ready to give an answer. Now, that doesn't mean you have to learn how to preach. A three-point outline. Doesn't mean you have to learn all kinds of stuff and philosophy and learn all that stuff. It means be ready to give an answer. Maybe you can't give a sophisticated, maybe some people more gifted. Maybe there are some people that can confute the gainsayer. (sighs) Maybe some people can't. But we've all got to be ready to give an answer. For what? Concerning the hope that is in you. Now, how do you come across at the office? How do you come across in the office, at the factory? You come across as the person with hope, or is the Christian the uh, is the Christian the supreme pessimist? Now, we believe in total depravity. We believe in man's sinfulness, born in sin, and all of that other stuff. And yet, that message of total depravity, that message of man's sinfulness, is not the end ultimately we believe in the message of hope we're the people of hope the hope that's within us that's not possibility thinking boy you've watered it down when you start talking about possibility thinking this is hope to give an answer to every man that asks the reason concerning the hope that is in you they see that hope in you how do you come across to your friends he's always pessimistic you know Evil and wicked. And this is how I describe the fundamentalists. Oh, always putting everybody down. Again, I was at the, the gay parade last week. And it's not gay. I mean, what's the phrase they always say? Uh, the moral majority is neither. Well, the gay community is neither. It's neither. Neither gay nor moral nor anything. It's awful. There's no hope in that at all. And Paul described, without Christ, there really isn't any hope. We saw a different demeanor. There's 100,000 less people there. 100,000 less people. Uh, Usually 250,000 people show up to that thing. There's only 150,000. Maybe only 100,000. And all these things have to do with AIDS and all the uh, uh, medical reports and all the uh, things to to fight it off. There's no hope. It's the Christian... First of all, it has the only hope. It's not a common hope. It's a unique hope. Take a look at this text. Romans chapter 4. Here's the hope. Here's Christian hope. Here's an example of Christian hope. This is about Abraham. Romans chapter 4. This is God's promise to Abraham. God promised that Abraham would have a son. Well, that's no big deal, except the fact that Abraham and his wife are too old to have children. You don't have children when you're up that old. And when you're that old, you don't want children. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, maybe there are some octogenarians that would really like to go into that thing all over again.
1: (laughs) They're crazy.
0: (laughs) Uh, But see, this is the promise of God. Now, look down at verse 20. It's about Abraham and Sarah and how God's going to take care. Let's work it all out now. Uh, Romans 4.20. Yet, looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not. This is Abraham. He wavered not through unbelief. Wavered means he didn't hesitate. He didn't hesitate through unbelief, but waxed strong. See, when you wax, you grow Okay, you're waxing at this stage, you're growing, you wax strong through faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, this is what I want you to look at, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now this is my particular translate, my Bible's translation, verse 21 again, being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now that's phrased in such a way that you don't quite know who he is. I think it's interesting. Again, listen, being fully assured that what he had promised. Now that one's God. He was able also to perform. Now is that God or Abraham? Now for sure God was able to perform it. But for sure Abraham was able to perform it. And for nothing in Abraham either. But Abraham was able to perform it. So it's interesting when you look at that, in my particular version here, you don't quite know who this he is. He is able also to perform. It turned out to be Abraham, who was able to perform. No. And behold, the promise of the covenant gave him hope. You see, there's real hope. There's an example of that hope. <laughs> Let's finish up First Peter 3 again. How do you come across to the world? How does the message that you convey... When I say message, again, I'm not talking about your words necessarily. I don't mean in the midst of a nice locker room fight, you're able to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord, believe in Him. Everyone's a sinner. I mean, you can go through those verses after a locker room fight, sure you could. But you've given two messages there. One message is simply a verbal message that gives the correct answers, Jesus is Lord. And then the fight in the midst, that gave another message altogether. There's a, there's a couple of different messages that we're giving out here. What kind of a message are you giving out? Grumbling all day. Gotta stay longer. Gotta work on this. Gotta type that again. Gotta do this over again. But Jesus is Lord. Thank God for it. Yes. And I'm able to give you the ABCs of salvation. All sin. Believe the Lord is Christ. Confess your sins, and so forth. You're giving two messages here. You can't give two messages. You only give one message. Says the Gospel of James, Epistle of James. And this is the hope. A reason concerning the hope that is in you. There are some of us, some of you Christians, that are not exhibiting that hope. Or are not, not exhibiting that hope enough. Because you really have that hope. John phrases it this way. The Apostle John. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, there's hope. Uh, chapter 5, he said something just as well Uh, this is our faith the faith that overcomes what the faith that overcomes what the faith that overcomes the person next to you that's all you really care about
1: no more
0: than that faith that overcomes the world maybe we're stuck on overcoming the world and I'm just uh, trying to deal with the guy next to me the the neighbor right next door to me it's the faith that overcomes the world it's your faith that overcomes the world Here's the victorious hope that the Christian really had. This is the hope that you have. You must realize that. The verse that you must always have in the midst of the funeral. Seriously. We know that all things work together for good. For those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know all things work together for good. Donna... A wonderful lady. My wife, she is the carrot top over there, redhead.
1: I don't know why I call carrot
0: tops. Carrot tops are green.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she, she's going around in a sling. I had to force her to come down, that's why. No. Tuesday, she slipped, coming from work. She slipped, bumped into somebody, slipped, and cracked her elbow. You know, I don't know why this didn't happen like Sunday morning at uh, 10.59 just before the worship service after the earthquake hit. And, and uh, the water heater
1: overflowed.
0: And the toilet's backed up. Why doesn't all that happen all at the same time? It does so often. Everything just happens at the same time. Here she was saying, there was a, I'm going to finally get a week off and I'm going to relax. She is, and so she broke her elbow there, (laughs) fractured it there, and it's going to heal. But the Lord is going to give her ten days off, of which five of them, six of them are here. Isn't that great? Now, we had to say to ourselves, all things work together for good to those that love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, is that the kind of life message you exude at the office, at home, with unbelievers? There's the hope. They're not going to come up to you. They won't come up to you and say, Why do you have that hope? If you're going to go around fighting with everybody, if you're going to gripe on everything and grumble about everything and fuss and bust about all kinds of things going on, they're not going to see that hope in you. Of course you're not going to have opportunities. I had terrible opportunities. I just don't have any opportunities. Nobody wants to talk to me. I don't like them anyway. That's not the Christian message. You see, You have the greatest hope in the world. And so do we in San Francisco. We thank God for living in San Francisco. You have it in your town and your community too. Sanctify Jesus as Lord. He is unique. Now we're going to try to apply that in various areas. Starting tomorrow morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is Lord. And so often that is so said It loses its meaning, not from your word, but from our hearts. And we need to be constantly reminded to set apart Jesus as Lord. Lord, make us, enable us, give us the grace to set apart Jesus as Lord as unique, so that we may may be able to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's within us, that the world may see that hope, that we may live out that hope, that the gospel is the final answer to world problems, the nations fighting each other, the neighbors not talking. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. Teach us this week from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.